Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. everybody and welcome to episode 165 of the Box Hard Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Joey Coastman. I'm joined by the ever-elusive, the very hard to find, the very mysterious man himself, Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. There's quite a bit to go over, so let's start with the reviewing straight away here. We're going to start at the Royal Theatre in Ireland. Um, we've got here Gary Spike O'Sullivan, friend of the show. He moved to win number 29. He's got three losses. It was a points win, actually, over eight rounds against Gabor Gorbix, a man that's been um, to Britain once or twice before. His record now, 26-14. and 14. I really expected Spike O'Sullivan to put him away because I think this guy here... Um, he got knocked out in five rounds, if I'm not mistaken, by Anthony Fowler um, earlier on this year. And he also got stopped by, um, I think it was a senior byfield, if I'm not mistaken. So um, really expected Spike to take him out, but he didn't. Uh, moving out now to Belgium. One fight to mention over here, Delphine Persoon. 42-1 her record now. She successfully defended her WBC World Female Lightweight title. A TKO in the 10th and final round against Judy Wagufi, who now has a record of 16 and 9 with four draws. We do want to see the Delphine Pursoon and Katie Taylor unification clash there. Uh, moving out now to Croatia, we had Filip Hergovic, the bronze medalist in the 2016 Olympic Games. He took on uh, Kevin Johnson, who actually came in at late notice. Kevin Johnson, um, you know, he put in a shift as he always does. He toughed it out over eight rounds unanimously, though, in favour of Filip Hergovic. He could not get, um, he could not get the kingpin out of there. Kevin Johnson, his record diminishing all the time. 33 and 12 with one draw. Hergovic now the perfect 7 and 0. Moving out now, though, to the Sheffield Arena. We've got here pretty quickly. Um, we have over here Kez Ashfak. He moved to 4-0, a TKO in the fifth round of a scheduled six against Jay Carney, who's now 5-4 with two draws. Ashfak looked pretty good doing that. Um, Terry Harper, she moved to 5-0, a TKO in the second round against Farish Mashauri, who's now 6-2. Um, Terry Harper being... Uh, being trained and I think even managed by Steffi Ball. Um, a very good relationship it seems that the pair have so all the very best to those guys um, or, or girls I should say before someone jumps down my throat who's uh, who's a bit too PC. Um, Kid Galahad moved to 26 and our points win over eight rounds against Brian Marina who is now 10 and 5 with one draw. It was pretty much a keep busy fight there for Kid Galahad. He always seems to wind up on uh, Kel Brook's undercard he, he's done it time and time again now. But that guy there, Marina, I mean, I actually expected him to probably stop Marina. I mean, Marina had only been stopped once. It was by Gamal Yafai, but um, 
you know, he, he's pretty tough. I mean, he fought Reese Bellotti earlier on this year. I expected Kid Galahad to probably get him out of there, but he did shut him out over eight rounds. So another win there, like I say, for Galahad. Anthony Fowler, he moved to 9-0, and a KO in the very first round against a guy here called Jose Paz, who's now 23-8 and with one draw. Now, the, the, the note about this fight, obviously, is that this guy here, Paz, uh, he took on the, the, the WBO super welterweight world champion. Jaime Munguia, he took him on earlier on this year in February and he actually got knocked out in three rounds by Munguia and Anthony Fowler's done it in one round so a little bit of a statement there to be completely honest I know a lot of people aren't a fan of the machine but I don't really think he's doing anything wrong I think he's doing all the right things and you know it's a step up there for him and he's completely come for it there's big fights for him down the line with the likes of Ted Cheeseman um, one or two other names as well. I forgot the guy who he's being linked with. Who who are they trying to get him to fight again, Ayaz? They're really linking him with him. His, his name's just missed me for the moment. What's that guy's name again? I've literally forgot myself. <laughs> the guy that Anthony Fowler's being... Um, oh, gosh. I'm, I, sorry, sorry, listeners. But it's all off the top of my head. That's the thing. And uh, I'm not going to sit here and waste anyone's time and go check it. But yeah, he was supposed to take on one guy. Anthony Fitz, Was it Anthony? No, not Anthony Fitzgerald. Cause, no, because his name's Anthony Fowler, isn't it? So I'm, I'm mixing the two names up. But it's De- Scott Fitzgerald, that's who it is. I think Anthony Fitzgerald was a boxer that maybe took on um, Spike O'Sullivan once upon a time. See, it's so interlinked. We meant we mentioned him um, earlier on in the show, Spike. But anyway, it is what it is. Moving up the bill once again, John O'Carroll took on Guillaume Frenois, who had a record of 46-1, and obviously John O'Carroll 16-0. and We had John O on the show a couple weeks ago. I really, really hoped he'd win the fight. It ended up being a split draw over 12 rounds, a very, very close fight. Could have really gone either way. I think most people kind of believe in that the Frenchman um, probably just about did enough to win. So I think a lot of people believe that Carroll was pretty lucky to, you know, to escape without a loss on his record there. Um, the thing about John O, I mean... It's just a bit of a shame for him because I think he was building a lot of momentum. This is a draw. I mean, in his head, he'll probably think he's won, but you know, he'll know it was a very close fight. He told me that he was going to knock this guy out. I think that was probably a bit of a stretch, but um, you know, it's a little bit of a setback. I mean, it's not really going to get in the way of his potential chance of fighting Tevin Farmer, which is what he wants. Um, but the thing is, it's a little bit of a setback. It's a little bit of a kind of you know, a bit a bit of a hit to his momentum. Um I I don't expect him to beat Tevin Farmer. I think no one would, would expect that of him. That'd be incredible if he did. Um but yeah, I mean all the very best to him. Um it's just a shame he didn't get the win here. Um a rematch could happen. But yeah, the friend the, the French guy, Fremois, he was really, really upset with the decision. He was literally moaning to everyone, even Eddie Hearn, to his credit, um in the in the post fight interview, he actually said he gave it to Fremois. Um Moving up now to the main event, Kel Brookeye has 37-2. and I mean, he came in at 150 pounds when he could have came in at 154. He came in four pounds lighter than he had to be, purely to prove a statement and also to basically get prepared to go down to 147 for the Khan fight. Um, you know, even though Khan's been linked with Crawford and it seems like he may have done the whole thing for absolutely nothing and Khan's just sitting there laughing. But anyway, in the other corner, Michael Zarafa, 25-2. and two. No one really gave him a chance. It was a much, much, much more competitive fight than anyone believed it would be. What did you make of it, Ayaz? 
what did I make of it? What a joke fight it was, to be fair. Let me explain why. I'll tell you what. From the very first round, I thought Kell Brook was, um, I thought Kell Brook's uh, box very well. I thought Kell Brook, um, Kell Brook um, who were hitting with very hard shots. And Kell Brook was on the attack already from the first round. That's when I thought, yeah, Kell Brook's going to knock him out. And then the second round, Kell Brook gave him a good round. And after the second round, Kell Brook starts slowing down. It's like he just didn't want to be in there. He was getting hit with easy shots with that right hand. And Zafira, at one point, um, literally had Kelbrook in trouble. But obviously, Kelbrook, um, at the end, won the fight on points. John Fex, he's a good trainer, don't get me wrong. But I just don't think he suits Kelbrook's style. I personally think if I was Kelbrook, I, um, I'll go for I'll go back to Dominic England and make Dominic England my permanent trainer. Uh, obviously, now that Kelbrook's uh, mandatory uh, for Jarrett Hurd, is he going to wait around for that Khan fight? I personally think the Khan fight is not going to happen. I personally think Khan is... Khan is doing what Khan does for his best is that he's going to go for the Crawford fight and he's going to make his last ever fight. He's going to try to make that against Kell Brook, but I personally think Kell Brook's next fight is not going to be Khan. But I'll tell you one thing, the fight against Zafira was not a very, was not a good performance. Kell Brook said that it's a newborn Brook, but it, to me, he had a flat nine. I, was, I wasn't really impressed. I even found the fight very boring. I agree 100%. I as I mean... Um, not to have a little dig at Eddie Hearn, but I remember Eddie Hearn said that the... Well, he's kind of backtracked a little bit now when he's been pressed on the actual statement, but the statement, and I am paraphrasing, was something along the lines of the Fury-Wilder fight wasn't that great of a fight. Um, he has since kind of changed his words, but you know he, he said that and it kind of cursed the Brook fight because we all thought Brook was going to smash the guy in a few rounds. But anyway, my perspective of the fight, you mentioned there, Iaz, he had a great first round, Brook. You know, he could not miss with a jab. You know, the straight shots were going straight through the guard of Zarafa. He had a very leaky defense. Um, I think he even had a bloodied nose in that first round. Even his face, I mean... He took a bit of a battering, and Brook just looked leagues above the guy. It was a beatdown in that first round. I think he wobbled the guy once or twice also, and straight away, it really confirmed what we thought was going to happen. We thought, yeah, it's going to end in a couple rounds here. And then, obviously, the second round, it was a much closer round. I think Brook actually took one or two good shots. I mean, he still won the round, but he wasn't as dominating as he was in that first round. Zarafa, I think, started to move a little bit better also, rather than just stand there and be a, you know, be a... A static target for Kelbrook to just unload shots on him. In the third round, you know, there was actually an argument for Zarafa actually winning that round. He hit Brook with some some beautiful um, beautiful left hands, including one that seemed to actually lift Kelbrook off the ground, but the commentators completely didn't pick up on that shot. Um, Kel did start getting off with, you know, a few combinations here and there, but a good round for me, um, for, Z for Zarafa. It was a very competitive round, like I say. Um, in the fourth round, once again, a Brook round. It wasn't no walk in the park. Zarafa hit Brook flush with a lovely right-hand counter. It was the best punch of the round for me. I don't know if Brook was over-eager or something, but he just didn't seem his usual self after four rounds. Now, in the fifth round, Brook had a good round in that fifth. He started to cut the ring off properly, and he was hunting Zarafa down. There was not too many serious shots landed, but I was very surprised that the fight had even gone to five rounds. Um, Brook seemed like he was getting a little bit frustrated at that point. In the sixth round, another round that Brook won, but it was alarming to see how inaccurate his shots were. I've always said that Brook is such an accurate puncher. He's so precise with his attacks. And for some reason, it just wasn't there. At one point, Zarafa's head movement caused Brook to miss all three punches in a three-punch combination. I mean, when does that ever happen to Kel Brook? Um, you know, he didn't look like a top-ten fighter, even in his weight class. Um... 
you know, Brooke hurt Zarafa a few times in the seventh round. Um, Zarafa was able to weather the storm. Brooke again took a good right-hand counter in that seventh. Zarafa, um, as we know, he'd only been stopped once, and it was against Peter Quillian, who, for me, is a much more legit knockout artist and big puncher than Brooke. I mean, Brooke's best knockout win is probably... I think I think we we talked about it possibly last week. I could be wrong, but I think his best his best knockout wins probably against Senchenko. I mean, you know, Senchenko's no excellent fighter. I mean, some people I think get a little bit carried away with Brook, and I think we've all been guilty of it. It's not necessarily that he's a bad fighter. I think he's excellent. But the level of competition he's had, it's been it's been very underwhelming. I mean, it's not been as bad as Deontay Wilder, but Brook and Deontay have had a similar amount of fights. And to be honest, the competition in both their resumes to get to like 40 fights has been pretty poor, if we're being honest. Um, you know, they always talk about Brook having all this power, but like I say, not a, not a great name on his record that he's actually knocked out. Um, all of the big names that he's been in with, he's, he's beat them on points or he's lost to. Um... You know, but it's the way he deals with some of these lower-level fighters that makes you think, "Wow, he really is special." And that's exactly the same with Deontay Wilder. Some of the people he's fought, he's obliterated them. And even though they're rubbish and they're no match for him, the way he's done it, you think, "No, this guy's got more to offer." And of course, he became the WBC heavyweight world champion. Um, whether you like it or not, that's a that's a fact that we had to accept. And obviously, Brook has proved once or twice before that he is a world-level fighter. Um, it just didn't seem to be um, on on this night here and like I say that punch power a lot of people thought that he was going to completely knock this guy out in a couple rounds and I was one of those but like I say when you sit back and look at Quillin for me he's a you know a legit puncher but anyway back onto the fight the eighth round um you know, I'd never seen Kel Brook get hit so often. I, I want to say that he didn't respect the guy's power, but as the fight went on, he still wasn't able to dominate any rounds since that that very first round, which he dominated big. The eighth round was another close round. The ninth round, Brook actually got nailed with some big shots, and he looked super vulnerable on the ropes. Very worrying signs for Brook. Zarafa certainly won that round, and I felt that he deserved massive credit. I mean, after the first round, like I say, I thought the knockout was going to be coming easily, and he completely... Um, got outgunned in that first round and I couldn't believe he'd made it to the 10th round and here we are in the 10th round now it was a very good round for Brook but you know it was an exciting and competitive round it was too competitive I really couldn't believe once again that Zarafa hung in there in the 11th round it was a very boring round it was more of the same it wasn't impressive Uh, this actually felt a little bit damaging for a future calm fight I feel like Kelbrook's stock almost dropped a little bit and then in the 12th round there was a few rocky moments for both men but aside from that it was a fairly boring final round of a boring fight and fair play to commentators Carl Froch and Adam Smith for not going easy on Brook they were harsh on Brook I felt um, I felt it was probably like a 9-3 kind of fight I think some people gave Brook every round I don't see how you could have possibly done that but yeah, he didn't seem his his usual self, Brooke. You mentioned that, Iaz. And one thing that I noticed in the post-fight interview, he seemed to be very emotional about the Khan situation. Maybe that's where his head was. I mean, Brooke came in, like I say, at 150. You know, he was getting ready for that Khan fight, and it still looks like Khan will be going elsewhere. Um, Brooke's more than likely put his body through hell and come out four pounds under the weight limit for absolutely no reason. Um, so yeah, I feel like Khan's playing more games, though I do think the fight needs to happen now because one of the guys will lose 
you know, they're already winning fights in not very convincing circumstances. Brook did not win the other night convincingly, and Khan's win against Vargas when he touched the deck himself once or twice, you know, it wasn't a convincing win. They need to get it on now because both those guys are pretty much there for the taking, I think. Not so much with Brook, because I think he's got a fantastic chin, and I give him a chance against anyone on his night, but Amir Khan, I mean, he cannot afford to lose again and I understand he thinks that the Brook fight's always going to be there and to some level he's kind of right with that because it has always been there but it is coming down to the the final few fights I think for both guys here so it needs to happen now we put a poll out on Twitter straight after the fight saying um, who would win like based on that performance there from 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 Kel Brook who would you favor if they fight next year it was something along those lines and most people went with Khan it was big um where would you side with that, Ayaz? I think 72% believe that Khan would beat Kel Brook, and 28 believe that Brook would beat Khan after that performance there. Very lackluster. If Kel Brook went back with Dominic Ingle, I see Kel Brook winning that fight. But if it's just John Fakes, I'm, I'm going with a Khan win on points. Okay, fair enough. I know that you do you do um, believe a lot about the man in the corner, Ayaz. Um, moving out now, though, to the StubHub Center in Carson, California, we saw Cecilia Breakhouse move to 35-0, and a successful outing for her. Once again, she remains with a perfect record, 35-0. and Unbelievable. She defended her IBF, IBO, WBA, WBC, and WBO. Um, female welterweight titles against Alexandra Lopez. It was a 10-round unanimous decision, 10 two-minute rounds. Also on the undercard, we had Clarissa Shields, friend of the show. She moved to 8-0. She defended her IBF, WBA, and WBC um, female middleweight titles. I don't think... I don't think the lady she boxed was a world champion. I don't think it was a unification. I think it would have been a bit bigger news. So, um... I, I get completely lost in how many belts Clarissa's had or has at the moment. It's all very confusing. She keeps going between two weight classes. She's got belts at both. She's had unifications at both. It's very confusing. Um, her opponent, by the way, Femke Herman, she lost the fight. Her record now 9-2. and two. It was a 10-round unanimous decision for Clarissa Shields. Also on that bill, we should mention Juan Francisco Estrada picked up win number 38. It was a retirement after seven rounds for Victor Mendez. So Mendez lost the fight. He retired on his store after seven. He didn't want to come out for round eight. And Estrada, like I say, 38 and three now. Moving out now to the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California, USA. One fight to mention over here. Friend of the show, Hector Tanahara, 15-0. and 0. Um, He got in there with Robert Manzanares, who had a record of 36 and 2 um, it went to the distance it was a 10 round contest unanimously um, Hector Tanahara got the decision so that is amazing for him like I say a prospect that got dropped against I think it was I don't want to say a journeyman but I remember he got dropped along the way um, and that was a little bit like, ooh, what's he really going to be like? Is he as good as what they think he is? He's with Golden Boy. We had him on the show, and he got in here against a guy who, in the guy's last fight, fought to a majority decision loss against a guy that just went the distance, I believe, with Jorge Linares. So it's a bit confusing, but a great win there for Tanahara. A mammoth step up in class. He's only 21 years of age now. I think he was on the show when he was 19. So all the very best to him. Very good young fighter. Moving out now to the Bowie State University in Maryland, USA. Um, over here, there's a few fights to mention. There really is. We have, let's start with... 
Keith Hunter, the younger brother of Michael Hunter, um, he moved to 9-0, and a first-round knockout for him um, against Sidharth Varma. So a good win there for Keith Hunter, the welterweight, by the way. Um, I say it was welterweight. I mean, he came in at 143, so perhaps he's eyeing a move down to 140. A little bit Brook-esque there, where he's come four pounds under the weight limit. Um, also on the bill, we saw Michael Fox, friend of the show. He moved to 19-0, and a win uh, in the second round, a TKO in the second round against Gonzalo Delera, who actually was 5-0 and undefeated. A good win there for Michael Fox, the 140 fighter who's six foot three and a half. Also on the bill, we saw um, Hassim Rackman Jr. He moved to 7-0, and a unanimous decision over four rounds against his opponent, who was 3-19 and with one draw. Um, he won three rounds, he lost one round, and also he's got a bad cut on his eyelid. It was real nasty. Right in the middle of his eyelid, you know, literally right above where his pupil would be, um, it split. It, it was very nasty. So all the best to Hassim Rackman Jr. Also, amateur standout Lorenzo Simpson. I think his amateur record was something like 176 and three, something like that. He picked up um, a, a win on his debut, a TKO in the very first round there for Lorenzo Simpson. Moving out now, though, to the final bill to mention at the Madison Square Garden Theatre, we saw... Tiafimo Lopez, 10-0. and 0. He took on Mason Menard, 34-3. and 3. It was for the vacant NABF lightweight title. Now, Mason Menard is a little bit of a gatekeeper. I don't think he'd like that tag, but he is a bit of a gatekeeper. Um, Menard, earlier this year, took on Devin Haney. And Devin Haney's being talked about as one of the best prospects in world boxing. He's been on the show before, Devin. Shout out to you. Um, so, yeah, he fought Devin Haney. Black China was sat ringside for that fight, if I remember correctly. And Devin Haney um, actually went to the ninth round with him, and then Menard decided to retire on his stall at the end of the ninth round, so he didn't come out for the tenth and final round. Now, I'm going to get my infamous measuring stick out here. Tiafimo Lopez, um, he stepped in the ring and knocked Mason Menard out in 40 seconds of the first round. I mean, it was quite staggering. I could not believe my eyes. I know a lot of people are very big on Lopez. They're saying he could perhaps be one of the best prospects in world boxing, and that's not just... You know, in America, that's not just for his weight class. That is simply in the world. A lot of people saying, you know, he's he's, he's above the Josh Kellys. He's above um, some of the other guys, the Devin Haney's. And like I say, he certainly proved it if you compare it to the Devin Haney fight there. Um, it was devastating. I mean... The, the knockout was brutal, it was scary, it was an overhand right, it was the perfect shot, it was devastating, like I say, and, um, you know, Menard's been in there with Beltran, a world-level fighter, and he got, you know, he got he got knocked out, I believe it was in seven rounds, like I say, Devin Haney needed nine, and yeah, Lopez completely wipes him out there, I think this guy's, this guy's future is absolutely limitless, and um, certainly, certainly one to watch, I think this guy is, is, is a top prospect. Um, moving up the card once again, let's now mention the very unfortunate Isaac Dogbay 20-0 fight against Emmanuel Neverete 25-1. Now, Neverete's one loss came in a four-rounder on point, so you can never read into a four-round points loss too much. Um, like I say, Dogbay was defending his world title. He was on the show last week. He was very, very confident. Um, it ended up being a unanimous decision over 12 rounds in favour of Emmanuel Neverete. So Dogbay lost his title. I'm going to start with the first round here. I mean, Dogbo came out firing. He's a very quick starter. I think we know that sometimes a bit too quick. Um, 
He was pushing Navarrete back in the start of the round, but Navarrete was pushing him back towards the end of the round. Um, in the second round, it was an interesting second round, actually. Dog Bay took too many shots clean. He was visibly hurt at least once in the round. The defense of Dog Bay looked a bit flawed. There was a headbutt early in the round in which Navarrete got cut pretty bad on the hairline, but it only seemed to spur him on, actually. I mean, he certainly won the round. Dog Bay was struggling, trying to get past the reach and the windmill-like arms of Navarrete. Now, the third round was a very close round. One, I felt Navarrete was winning, but Isaac did some good things in the last first. 30 seconds that I think made it a drawn round. I actually gave it a 10-10. Dog Bay was struggling with the size once again. Um, you know, we learned a lot about Dog Bay in the Magdaleno fight, and we know that he can come on strong late and keep the pressure on his opponent. It was, at that point, pretty interesting to see what the next couple rounds would bring us, um, to see if Navarrete could keep up with a pace and not tire himself, because it was a big step up for him. Um, in the fourth round, Navarrete was moving a lot. He was using his feet. Dog Bay was doing the right thing. He was going to the body of the man in an attempt to try and slow him down. In the fourth round, I felt that Dog Bay won that round for me. Um, but yeah, you know, Navarrete at that point was certainly asking a few questions of Dog Bay. It was a very um, unpredictable type fight. I didn't expect it to go the way it go. Again, I thought Dog Bay was going to come out and blitz him in a few rounds. I think Dog Bay actually thought the same. He's come out since then. He certainly overlooked the guy. In the fifth round, Dog Bay was lunging a lot. I mean, the commentators picked up on it. He was overreaching from way out of range. He was missing wildly, and Dog Bay actually got beat up a little bit in that fifth round, which was horrible to see. Dog Bay looked like he was unraveling a little bit. Um, Navarrete looked pretty awkward and unorthodox, and I don't really want to be an after-timer, but I felt this was a bad stylistic matchup for Dog Bay at that point there in that fifth round. Navarrete was stalking Dog Bay down. In the sixth round, Navarrete was constantly backing Dog Bay up and continuing to catch him, and Dog Bay took too many clean shots once again. He looked like he was running out of ideas and he didn't really know what to do his face was swelling up he wasn't getting through with many shots there was nothing working for him he could not get a rhythm going and you know he was being overwhelmed to be honest dog bay and he needed to do something big in the second half of the fight now in the second half of the fight the seventh round dog bay actually boxed much better in the seventh i mean he pushed navarrete back for the first time in a while i gave that round to dog bay on my scorecard at the time um it was a very important round and that round for dog bay made it a draw on my card actually because Navarrete didn't do too much at all in the seventh round I thought he could perhaps be slowing down um, in the eighth round straight away Dog Bay was on the front foot he was putting pressure on Navarrete Navarrete was struggling with Dog Bay I don't know if Navarrete was tiring at that point but he was only fighting in bursts did the body work start to you know come into play the body work that that Dog Bay was putting in earlier on in the fight I wasn't too sure. Going into the ninth round, down went Navarrete, but the referee called it a punch in the back of the head, so it was ruled no knockdown. I thought Navarrete was a little bit fortunate because it seemed like on the replay it was quite a close shot, whether it was kind of behind the ear or behind the head. Um, the replay wasn't a great angle, I've got to be completely honest. Navarrete, when he did get back up, it was like he just got given an energy boost. He started to bring it to Dogbo, and I actually gave him the round simply because the knockdown wasn't scored, so it was a 10 nine round for Navarrete on my card now in the 10th round it's a fantastic round of boxing both men got hit with bombs Isaac had to take 
too many power punches for my liking, but he slipped on some water. And it was ruled a no knockdown, but it was a bad slip. I mean, it was a brilliant round, but Isaac's power didn't look as dangerous as it had done previously. And this guy was a tough Mexican. It's as simple as that. The commentators, I felt, were being too harsh on Dog Bay. All night, they had him losing wide. And after 10, I think one of the commentators, I can't remember his name, but he had it 8-2 to Navarrete. I actually gave the round to Navarrete, but I had it 5-4. Um, with one even round after 10. So I had it a lot closer than this commentator. I thought he, he was he was too far off. In the 11th round, Navarrete hunted down Dog Bay. Dog Bay once again slipped on some water. Um, Dog Bay was in trouble. Another Navarrete round. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, you know, at that point, Dog Bay needed a knockout. In the 12th round, there was not much that come from Dog Bay apart from guts. I mean, he is a brave warrior. He is a soldier, but he wasn't a winner on my card. He lost that final round also. Uh, You know, Neverete could end up being a problem in the division. I think, but saying that, obviously, Isaac always has to give away a lot of height. I mentioned last week to him, do you like fighting guys that are taller than you? Some people do, some people don't, and he basically said he hasn't really got a choice. Uh, You know, he's very, very short for the weight, and I've heard that he apparently struggles to make the weight also, which is another factor of how difficult it may be for him to find a way back to world title status. I mean, we all thought that Dogbo would actually stop this guy in a few rounds, and like I say, he had to dig way deeper than anyone thought, and I think... I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was a voluntary defense. You know, he showed a lot of heart in there. He's he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. He's got a fantastic story. You know, but I hope he doesn't just disappear back into oblivion because he's very much a guy who's in the Who Needs Him club, I think. I'm unsure of what the contract says, but um, I'm hoping he's got a few more fights with top ranks so they can bring him back because he's still young. And obviously, you know, he can come back with the right fights, with the right people behind him. But if he goes back to Ghana without a big promoter, then it's a a sad thing, but it could be the end of Isaac Dogbay because he goes back there, there's no media attention on him, you know, there's no big promoter, there's no money, people don't want to go to Ghana to fight him. It's terrible, you know, he's, he's had to fight his way up the very, very hard way. And like I say, he's got a fantastic story and he belongs at the top, but a very bad night for him and he's come out and said that himself. Um, yeah, I actually had it 116-113. The reason why it looks a little bit dodgy is because of the 10-10 round I gave early on, but my scorecard was very similar to the three judges. I mean, we all had it very close. I think two judges had it 115-113, and one judge had it 116-112. All in favour of the new champion, Navarrete, so, um, very much all close together, my scorecard and theirs, and the commentator who was scoring it was way off. Um, but yeah, moving up the card once again, Vasily Lomachenko, 11-1, took on Jose Pedraza, 25-1, it was for the WBA Super World Lightweight title and the WBO World Lightweight title, um, Pedraza brought the WBO and Lomachenko brought the WBA Super um, unanimous decision over 12 rounds in favor of Lomachenko. Pedraza was down twice in that 11th round. I'm going to go through the fight here as quick as possible. Lomachenko in the first round, for me, didn't really do too much. I mean, he come out and had a look at Pedraza. Pedraza, I think, threw more shots, but nothing really telling landed from either guy. Lomachenko landed with a lovely left-hand counter that probably pinched in the round, but that was about the only shot that landed of note. In the second round, I felt Pedraza had a decent round. He got through... 
um, to the body of Lomachenko a couple of times. Lomachenko did return fire, though, with some meaty-looking straight lefts. Um, Lomachenko probably just about edged it by, you know, by, by a little bit on both the rounds there. So I had it um, 2 to 0 after 2, but it was very close rounds, I felt, very competitive. In the third round, I mean, I feel like I've said all I can about Lomachenko every time I speak about him. I mean, he constantly moves and looks at angles. He constantly makes you think in there, which exhausts you mentally. And he's very quick, so you've got to be ready for an unpredictable shot at an unpredictable angle at about one second's notice, if that, probably half a second. But yeah, once again, I felt that he stole the round literally by one punch. But to be honest, in that third round, I think there was an argument for a Pedraza round. A lot of people did give that one to him. In the fourth round, Pedraza came out in the southpaw stance, and it worked for him. I mean, I actually gave him that round. He was patient, he was active, he set a good tempo, he was accurate, he made Lomachenko think. And he looked very good in that southpaw stance. It was the clearest round of the fight for me. I think he won very obviously. Uh, Lomachenko did land the best punch of the round, though. But for me, again, still a Pedraza round. In the fifth round, I gave that one to Pedraza also. Pedraza went to the body of Lomachenko with some nice shots. You know, he'd been matching Lomachenko punch for punch, really, for all five rounds. So credit to Pedraza right up to that point. Lomachenko did finish the round strongly, but again, it wasn't enough for me. And I told you last week, as I said, that Pedraza's got a difficult style. And I said it wouldn't be a walk in the park for Lomachenko. I said it would be a lot closer than people felt. You disagreed. But... um I was right, pretty much. I mean, in the sixth round, Lomachenko, I felt, won that round. It was a round um, of a few switches in momentum. Um, Lomachenko landed the more eye-catching shot, so for me. In the seventh round, Lomachenko came out with purpose, but it was a it was a round of two halves. I mean, Pedraza returned with his own attacks. Both men were evading shots really well. There was urgency, though, in Lomachenko's work because a lot of people did have it very close. The commentary team had it 4-3 after seven rounds. I think it was in favor of Pedraza. I wasn't really scoring it strictly, but I felt that Loma was probably winning the, the, the fight at that point. In the eighth round, it was another great round. I definitely felt that Lomachenko won that round also. But Lomachenko did have a cut on his left eye. Um, it was a very technical fight. You know, It was one for the boxing purists. And in the ninth round, it was another great round. Um, when the 10-second clapper went for each round, by the way, Lomachenko would always try and finish strong. I felt that Lomachenko did win the ninth round, though. Um, but it was such a great effort from Pedraza. You know, he really deserves a lot of credit off the back of this. And I almost wanted him to win the fight due to being such a big underdog. I think it was like 20 to 1 on or something like that. Um... But yeah, the 10th round, I actually gave that one to Pedraza. It was funny because he came out in orthodox in his natural stance and then he started getting hit a bit too often. Then he switched it to southpaw again. And, you know, obviously he had earlier success in the fight with that with that stance and he completely turned the round around and he won the round. But yeah, very, very close fight after 10. And then, like I say, um, I think I had Lomachenko maybe one point up or maybe two points up going into the 11th and that was where he really um you know cemented the win for him i mean he, he hit pedraza with about 30 unanswered punches i think people are even saying maybe it was 42 shots they've counted them it sounds absolutely crazy pedraza did not hold at all he stood there stupidly he took all the shots and then he ends up getting dropped and he got back up he was very very hurt and then he got dropped again with a body shot it was a massive massive round a massive 10-7 round for Lomachenko, which for me, surely, like I say, cemented his win on the scorecards. It was such a shame for Pedraza. I was absolutely gutted for him. I would have really liked to have seen what the scores would have been up to that point, like the official scores. Um, I'm going to try and hunt them down, actually. I want to see what the official scores were going into the 11th round, so after 10. 
If anyone does know, let us know on Twitter at Boxhar Podcast. But the final round, the 12th round, Lomachenko was hunting Pedraza down. Pedraza still opted to not hold. He was moving around the ring for for most of the round and trying to not get involved too much. But it was a much better fight than most people expected. So all the credit goes to Pedraza. Um, I actually said on last week's show that Lomachenko... This is this is a thing that, that people don't know. I actually said on last week's show that Lomachenko definitely wouldn't stop Pedraza quicker than Javante Davis did. And I edited it out of the show because I thought it was pretty disrespectful how I said it, like it was completely impossible. And I kind of thought to myself, really and truly, Lomachenko's arguably the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. So how can I say that he just can't do that as confidently as what I said it? But I really believed it, but I thought, do you know what? You know, I want to take that out of there. But I kind of wish that I left it in now because I thought that that was going to be the case all along. I thought it was going to be quite a competitive fight, and it was. And, um, you know, the size, I think, played a part as well. Pedraza being the, the, the physically bigger man. But, yeah, Lomachenko got the job done and a massive 11th round just really to, to you know, to stamp his authority and to make sure that no one really had it close. So I think on the scorecards at the end, it was a lot wider. I think some of them, or one of them at least, was very wide. It was too wide, but I think it looked a lot wider after that 10-7 round um, but yeah that's really it for the reviewing um, just before we wrap up part one there's one well there's two things to do firstly there's some predictions that we because we didn't do the prediction league last week but the week before that we did do the predictions but we forgot to add them onto the scores I'm going to just do that here um, I went with Wilder to knock Fury out. That obviously didn't happen. I, as you, went with Fury on points, and so did the listeners. That is what should have happened, by the way, but it ended up being a draw, so unfortunately no one gained a point there. Um, I went with Hurd to win by knockout against Jason Wellborn. So did you, I, so did the listeners, so we all gained a point there. And then when we talked about Lewis Ortiz and Travis Kaufman, I went with Ortiz by knockout. Um, the listeners went with Ortiz by knockout. And UI has actually opted for Ortiz on points, which very nearly happened. He needed the last 30 seconds in the fight to actually get the stoppage. Um, so, yeah, you almost got it right there, Ayaz. Very, very close. Too close um, for my liking. But, yeah, too little, too late. Um, yeah, you don't gain a point there. So two points for me and two points for the listeners, but one point for you, Ayaz. So you're at the back at the minute from from the front to the back. It's been a torrid few weeks on the Prediction Leagues for you. But anyway, that's it. Like I say, just before we wrap up part one, the last thing to do is to welcome guest number one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former British and WBO European champion. It is, of course, Mr. Liam Williams. Liam, welcome back on the show, my man. Thanks for having me, mate. Appreciate the time. It's always good to have you on, Liam. So we last spoke back in August. At that time, you were getting ready for your September 7th fight. Now, firstly, I believe you had an opponent switch pretty late on. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, very late. Um, it, was, it was all a bit of a shambles, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, it was just like pullouts and then um, weight changes and stuff. I, I ended up fighting like... I, I don't even remember what I weighed in. I was like 12 stone-ish. 174, um, I think you were. God knows. Um, was it one... Seriously, 174, was I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't remember. Obviously, I was a lot, lot like the other day before. Um, and after all the... Uh, you know, after all the commotion, I just thought, you know what? I, um, I'm going to do... I'm just going to eat what I want. Not, you know, within reason, so I could fight for. I'm not going to watch my weight. I'm not going to watch my water or anything. So, you know, there's a possibility I might not even fight at the end of the day. So, I ended up blowing up quite a bit of weight, obviously. 
<laughs> and then, like I say, in the fight, you ended up fighting Craig Nicholson. Now, in the second round, you both fall through the top rope, and the ropes give in and snap. I mean, it was it was it was bizarre. I mean, for those that haven't seen it, Liam, describe what happened. It was crazy. I can't explain to you what happened, mate. As you said, it was just it was just madness. Like from from the build up to the to the fight. Um, to everything about it, really, was just a disaster. Um, and I was just glad to get it over with. <laughs> now, the action had to be paused for four and a half minutes in that second round, and when the action resumed, because, you know, the ropes were so badly busted, when when they fixed it, um, when the action resumed, like I say, in that same round, which was a very long round, of course, um, you was able to put your man away with a lovely, lovely left hook to the body. A good win for you, Liam, and obviously the first one under the Ingle banner. Yeah, um, it was lucky, really, that... Uh that I did hit him and stop him when I did because um, I don't know if anybody noticed but when he went down when the fight got, caught, got called off the, the ropes fell back down again so if we were still if we were still fighting at that time there's a very good possibility that um, that the fight would have been called off and, and uh, like, a, like a no contest or whatever boy oh boy well thank god that uh, that that, that didn't happen. Um, you know, when you were last on the show, obviously you mentioned at the time about this possible fight against JJ Metcalf. Now that fight then got made after your win, um, but yeah, there was some uncertainty whether Metcalf was going to be fit to box. I think it was himself actually. He had a few mixed opinions on if he was going to be a hundred percent. And I think that you kind of decided you'd rather just forget about all the messing around and just take on Mark Heffron instead. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, definitely. Um... Everybody's saying, like, um, oh, this is a fair play for you to step it up, um, fight the mark. But I was the one who asked for the fight against Mark because he needed an opponent, and so did I. So, you know, why not? Um, I'm a big like middle anyway. I, I can still make like middle, like, you know, I, I could still make like middle next week. But um, this opportunity have come up, and, you know, it's for, it's for a bit like it gives me a chance to to win a British title at second weight. So it's just something which it's something about it which um, which really impressed me, you know? And Mark Heffron it is, like I say, December twenty second is the date, the Warrington vs. Frampton undercard. What do you know about Heffron, Liam? Obviously he's doing all the right things, but he hasn't really fought anyone remotely close to your level just yet. Do you know what I know about him? Two things of a certain one is he's a bully. And two is he can punch. Other than that, he hasn't showed us anything else. Got a decent job, decent footwork, um, just just decent. But he's been in with nobody, so it's difficult. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit there and slag him off because you know he could show up on the night and absolutely obliterate me, which I, you know, obviously I really, really don't believe is going to happen. I don't think he's going to come anywhere close, but. You know, I can't slag him off until, until I make my own opinion and, and get in there with him myself. Mark Efron, uh he's just a bully. His brother was a bully, and he got dealt with by myself badly. Um, and I believe I'm going to deal with Mark badly. 
And like I say, this fight's going to be taking place at middleweight, Liam. So you're you're kind of <coughs> stepping up in weight from super welter. But as we said, your last two fights have been pretty much, I want to say, pretty much at light heavyweight almost. That's a massive step from super welter. Looking at that, is it going to be a struggle to make 160? Absolutely not. Um, I, I, I could make 160 tomorrow morning. I'm walking around, um, you know, I'm healthy. I'm eating really well. Um, I'm eating four meals a day. Uh, you know, and not just not just four small meals. I mean, then four good, like you know, good carb-based meals. Um, I'm drinking eight liters of water every single day, um, and I, I I woke up this morning and I think I was just seven or eight pounds overweight. After do you know, I haven't cut back nothing, and I only trained once yesterday too. So, and that's just. You know, I, I don't even need to tell you this information. I probably shouldn't tell you this information, but I'm just, I'm, I'm very comfortable. I, I'm happy in um, in myself and I'm feeling good and healthy. I can't wait. And obviously, um, you know, JJ Metcalf kind of, I think he's kind of, he's lost out on this a little bit, but are you interested in a fight with him, you know, perhaps after this, or have, have you kind of wiped your wiped your nose with him now, kind of thing, wiped your mouth with him, I should say? To be honest with you, I never needed Metcalf anyway. Uh, he was just there. He was just a platform for me to, to you know, get a good win and back on back onto the... Um, to the big stage and, and some big fights. That, that's honestly what I believe he was. I didn't think he was great at all. People say people saying I've ducked Metcalf to go and fight Heffron, which would be the most ridiculous. You know, that's just fucking that's stupidness. Like Heffron's a lot better fighter. The main event on the same night as your fight, the main event, the, the fight that tops the bill, Warrington versus Frampton. A lot of people are very split on this, Liam. Um, do you, do you, do you favour either guy or is it a 50-50? Do you know what? As soon as you said that to me, then um, I'm thinking I know what's coming next and I am going to answer the give you. Uh, <clears throat> for me, I think if I could break it down in my head, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I think Frampton's going to come out Looking, looking very good, technically superb, um, landing some good shots, better boxing ability, which I think even Josh Warrington will will agree that that Frampton's you know has got that more natural ability. Um, I think he's going to come out boxing well, controlling the first couple, and I just think Warrington's going to bring that relentless pressure and drag him into a dogfight, and then who knows. I don't. I genuinely don't know. I can. I can see it going both ways. So I'm just. I'm just kind of sitting on the fence at the moment. No, that's completely fine. One fight I want to ask you about also that's happening this weekend. Um, Rocky Fielding trying to do, uh, do do an unbelievable thing. Go out to the states and beat Canelo. Can he do it? Possibly. Um, even even Rocky himself knows he's got a massive task in front of him, and so does everybody else. But. You know, I'm I'm not shy to say, like, Canelo, he's he's, some, he, he's elite level and he's um he's a special fighter. So if he was the same size as Rocky Fielding, he beats him hands down. But he's not. He's he's a lot smaller, and I think the size could play a massive part in this fight. And you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be totally totally shook 
if feeling beater simply due to the size advantage, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The size difference, like you pick up on, is 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 very evident. Um, coming down to the the final two questions now for you, Liam. Um, I want to ask you if you have one. What is your prediction come fight night for yourself against Hefron? Obviously, when you fought his brother, you were able to beat him. I think he perhaps retired after after six or something like that. How do you see this fight playing out? I just, I just predict a win. Uh, as long as I win, I couldn't care less. You know, it, it doesn't matter to me. I just want to come away with a win. And um, and become two-time, you know, two-weight British champion. But I I honestly feel a stoppage coming on. I feel a late stoppage coming on because I've, I'm super motivated for this fight and I'm coming out firing. Believe me. But no, that would be a brilliant achievement to win a British title with two weights. Not many people can say that they've done that. So a final question for you now, Liam. It is the month of December. It would be rude to not ask, what is on your Christmas wish list in terms of your career? What can you do in 2019? Where can you be in a real, in a realistic world this time next year? This time next year, I could 100% be fighting or fighting for a world title or have fought, possibly even be a world champion. Who knows? But... For me, um, you know, I, I respect Mark Efron as a fighter and I can't look past him. Yeah, for sure. Any closing words just before we let you go, Liam? No, just just thank you again, mate. Um, always appreciate you having me on and uh, nice speaking to you. It's nice speaking to you. As always, Liam, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for your time. Best of luck for the 22nd. Have a great Christmas and we'll catch up sometime in the new year. Good man, good man. Thank you. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part. There's not too much, I believe. Ayaz, what do you have for us, sir? Oh, yes. Um, Carlos Takam will be added to the Chisora White undercard. Yeah, I mean, there was always the rumour about Carlos Takam fighting um, on the 22nd. So, uh, so yeah, no real surprise there. I think Dave Allen's ruled himself out of that fight. I don't think anyone really would have wanted to see that fight anyway. Um, it'd be interesting to see who he fights because obviously David Price is in a heavyweight clash on that one um, against Tom Little. Uh, you know, you've got Carlos Takam. You've got the main event, obviously, White and Chisora. So, not quite sure who it leaves, really. Um, yeah, not quite sure who it leaves to, to, to put him in with that's going to be competitive. Um, he's not like a massive name. Uh, I don't think he speaks much English. I could be wrong. Uh, he, he likes to do a lot of his Twitter tweets in English. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a bit of a weird one, really. It's a bit of a weird one. Final big news is that ITV have announced an exclusive three-year deal with our Heyman's PBC to broadcast a minimum of 15 cards per year from the, both the UK and the US. Yeah, crazy news. I mean, this took everyone by surprise. Um, Al Heyman obviously doing a deal with ITV. It looked like ITV were pretty much done in boxing. I mean, they, they were here for the uh, the World Boxing Super Series first time round. Then the second time round, they weren't interested in it. And now Al Heyman's made them change their minds. So, uh, yeah, very interesting. We're, we're still kind of yet to find out the full details of what's going to be going on and what kind of fights are going to be shown and when the deal starts. I want to look more into it because I haven't really had time to. But um, that would be brilliant. I mean, imagine... I mean, it's going to be weird. I mean, like, <laughs> four in the morning, they're going to be showing boxing, or two in the morning, they're going to be showing boxing from America on ITV. I wouldn't imagine it's going to be ITV1, but, like, ITV4. I mean, wow, brilliant stuff. Um, 
I love brilliant boxing on terrestrial TV. I mean, Al Heyman did it out in the States, and now he's doing it in the UK. I mean, he's, he's treating us. You know, he's, he's brought us a present right now, just, just before Christmas. All the very best to Al Heyman. Thanks to Al Heyman. We like to thank him on this show. And that's it for the news. Okay, thank you very much, Ayaz. Right, let's move over now to the preview part of the show in Corpus Christi, Texas, USA. This one's going to be shown on Box Nation as well as um, as ESPN+. Plus. I believe this one's tomorrow night, if I'm not mistaken, so um, look out for that one. Um, we have on this bill Jamel Herring, friend of the show, 18-2, and two, his record... Um, He's an eight-rounder against Adilson Dos Santos, a Brazilian fighter that I've seen um, a few years ago take on Kid Galahad. I think it was at the Ponds Forge in Sheffield. So, uh, yeah, uh, Adilson Dos Santos, 19-5. and five. Should be a decent-ish fight. I think that Jamel Herring should beat this guy with ease pretty much. I think Dos Santos, if I'm not mistaken, since he lost to Galahad in 2014, I think he's had something like four wins, four losses, or something like that. He hasn't had a great run since losing his O to Galahad. Um... We've also got Michaela Meyer on the bill. Her record 8-0. She's in an 8-rounder against Callista Silgado, who's 17-10 with three draws. We've got Arnold Barboza Jr., 19-0. He's in a 10-rounder against Manuel Lopez, who's 14-2 with one draw. We've got Joshua Greer Jr., who's 18-1 with one draw. Um, he's in a 10-round contest against Daniel Lozano, who's 15-5. I've said it before, Joshua Greer Jr. is a guy that likes to carry around a pillow with loads of big and small Z's or Z's I like to call them on the pillow like you're going to sleep he likes to carry it around to the way in and if he's got it with him then it usually means he's going to knock you out and to be honest most of the time he's right um, I think he's, he's got a few of these pillows I actually want to get one of those pillows for my own bed but anyway um, good luck to Joshua Greer um, one that we hopefully get on the show at some point in the near future. Also, the the main event here for the WBO World Super Middleweight title, Gilberto Ramirez, 38-0. He's got one of the longest undefeated streaks in world boxing. He takes on Jesse Hart, 25-1 from Philadelphia. Obviously, the pair met in the past. Um, I think it may have been... If it wasn't earlier this year, then it was certainly um, sometime, I think, in the second half of last year. Um, obviously, a 12-round contest, but yeah, a rematch. I mean, the first fight was pretty close-ish, even though Jesse Hart got dropped. He got up, and it was very competitive, but Gilberto Ramirez managed to win on points. Um, very interestingly, the listeners have actually gone with Gilberto Ramirez to get the knockout this time. Um, I am... Very surprised by that, if I'm if I'm being honest. I want Jesse Hart to win. He's been on the show before. He's a bit crazy. He said he wants to, to win that belt at super middleweight. Then he, he wants to one day end up at heavyweight and fight Anthony Joshua. He is a bit loopy. Um, Ayaz, how do you see that one going, Gilberto Ramirez and, uh, and Jesse Hart? I'm going to go with Gilberto Ramirez by knockout. Gilberto Ramirez by knockout. So you're siding with the listeners. Maybe I'm the crazy one. Um, I'm going to go Ramirez on points. I would love to be wrong. I think Jesse Hart, um, since the since the loss to Ramirez, has, has done really well. I think he's put together three stoppages in a row, and he can punch himself. So uh, I'm not quite sure he's going to stop 
Ramirez. I don't think Ramirez has shown any vulnerabilities in his chin or anything, but I think he could possibly outpoint him. But yeah, all the very best to Jesse Hart. Moving out now to the Sport Hall in Hamburg, Germany. We've got Caro Murat, 32 and 3 with one draw. He tops the bill against Sven Falling, who's 14 and 1. Uh, that one's for the IBO World Light Heavyweight title. Also on the bill, we've got Jurgen Bremer. He's looking for win number 50. His record 49 and 3. He takes on Pablo. Nieves, who's 33 and 16 with one draw. Very much an easy way to pick up your 50 if win it would appear. Also on the undercard, there's a good heavyweight scrap between Christian Hammer, former opponent of Tyson Fury, former opponent of David Price. He knocked Price out. Um, he got off the canvas to do so as well. He's not a bad fighter, Hammer. Um, his record 23 and 5. He takes on a undefeated heavyweight prospect called Michael Wallish who's actually 19-0, and 0, so that one could be quite spicy there in Hamburg. Uh, moving out now to the Horncastle Arena in Christchurch, New Zealand, we've got to mention here the former WBO heavyweight world champion, Joseph Parker, 24-2, and 2, very much a friend of the show, got a lot of time for Joseph, nice, nice guy. Um, he takes on Alexander Flores, who's 17-1 and 1 with one draw. His one loss came to Charles Martin by knockout. Um, he's not really fought brilliant opposition since then, but Joseph Parker, I'm expecting to get the win here and pretty easily. Also on the undercard, we've got Junior Farr, 15-0. He takes on Rogelio Rossi, who's 20-6 with one draw. That one's for the interim WBO Oriental Heavyweight title. If I'm not mistaken, I think Junior Farr got a win over Joseph Parker in the amateurs. Um, I believe. But anyway, Joseph Parker against Alexander Flores. I asked Flores only loss came to Charles Martin. How do you see the fight playing out? For me, it's Parker by knockout. The listeners agree with that. Do you believe Parker knocks him out or beats him on points? Yes, I believe Parker will knock him out, but uh, I believe Parker will knock him out. Yeah. I think I think you'd have to be crazy to go against that. Um, also, we have at the O2 Academy in Bournemouth, Dorset, United Kingdom, a couple fights to mention over here. The return of Joe Pigford, a fighter that I think is a pretty good fighter, to be honest. I remember watching his fight against Aaron Morgan. It was a brilliant shootout. Um, he seems like he's really slowed down since then. I don't think he's boxed. Um, since then, I think he may have had one or two at max, but that was a long time ago, it feels now. Um, so, yeah, Joe Pigford's fighting in a six rounder, his opponent yet to be announced, and topping the bill, Chris Billum Smith, 7 and 0, oh, his opponent yet to be announced, that's supposed to be a six rounder. Moving out now to the Brentwood Centre in Brentwood, Essex, United Kingdom. Last time Frank Warren put on a show here, there was a humongous riot, and um, yeah, it was very, very distasteful when Corcoran and um, Johnny Garton were fighting. There was even worse fights going on in the crowd. Um, and that fight in the ring, by the way, was absolutely brutal as well. But this bill here, a very good card, actually. It's, a, it's, a, it's another card what's too good for this show, uh, for this venue, I should say. Um, so, yeah, certainly get down to that if you can. We've got Hamza Shiraz, 5-0. He's in a six-rounder against Sam Umidi, who's 6-18 and with three draws. Ryan Garner, 7-0. He takes on Jose Aguilar, who's 16-53 and with four draws. Willie Hutchinson, 6-0, takes on Josh Miller, 3-0. That's a six-rounder there. All the very best to Willie Hutchinson, a friend of the show. We've got Harvey Horn, 3-0. He takes on Christian Navarez, who's 15-12 and with four draws. Bradley Skeet, 28 and 2. He's in a contest against, well, against another kind of guy, really. I don't want to be disrespectful, but a guy that we expect him to beat. Um, I forgot the guy's name now, but it's it's been two kind of back to back fights where, 
you know, he's he's supposed to beat these guys pretty easy. I'd rather see him in with Frankie Gavin just because we know the guy and there's a little bit of history there, but it is what it is. Sonny Edwards, 9-0, and looking for win number 10. He puts his WBO European super flyweight title on the line against Junior Granados, who's 16-5 and with one draw. Granados, you may remember the name. He took on... Uh, he took on Jamie Conlon, um, I think it was about two years ago now. He actually dropped Conlon once or twice during the fight, I think, with body shots. So, yeah, tough Mexican fighter, Granados. Um, how do you see that one playing out, As The listeners are going with Granados to knock Edwards out, which I think would be a little bit surprising, but they're full of surprises at the moment, the listeners, with their predictions. Uh, I'm going to go with Sonny, uh, Sonny Edwards to win by points decision. I think Sonny Edwards is slick, and I think he's going to win by points. Yeah, I agree. I think Sonny Edwards is so hard to hit. I don't see him getting knocked out by this guy who's not really the biggest of punchers, um, despite dropping Conlon. Um, so, yeah, I go with Edwards on points also, but once again, the listeners have got Granados by knockout. Uh, moving out now to York Hall, Bethnal Green. We've got a couple fights to mention over here. John Joe Nevin, 10-0. and He's in an eight-rounder against Renardo Cahina, who's 14-55 and with five draws. This guy's been to the UK so many times, Cahina. I mean, Jesus, I've seen him in with everyone. Uh, also on that undercard, we should mention Nick Webb, 13-1. and one. That one loss came to Dave Allen. He takes on Camille Sokolowski. That's a tough fight, by the way. That's a six-round contest there. They both fought on the same bill a few months ago, I think in September, for an LCS show. Camille Sokolowski pulled off an upset win. And um, Nick Webb, on his birthday, um, he beat the Welshman that... Also fought Joshua and Eddie Chambers, and his name slipped me. Uh, what's that Welsh guy's name? Forget about it. But anyway, he knocked out the Welsh guy on his birthday. So they both shared a bill, and now they're both sharing a ring together. Um, moving out now to the MSG, Madison Square Garden, New York, USA. This is the final bill to mention, Iaz. Um, we've got Eddie Hearn promoting this one, Matrim USA. Also, it's a bit of a co-promotion with Canelo's Golden Boy Promotions, or I should say Golden Boy Promotions Canelo. Um, it's going to be shown on the zone. It's going to be shown on Sky Sports. It's a great card, if I'm being honest. It really, really is from top to bottom. I really like it. Um, Virgil Ortiz Jr., 11-0. He's in a 10-rounder. His opponent yet to be announced. Every fight on the bill is 10 or 12 rounds, so it's going to be a long night of boxing for those that are there. And sadly, I think for those at home that are going to be watching it on Sky Sports, there probably won't be too much. We're going to probably see maybe two or three fights. I doubt we're going to see four, but really I'd like to see them all because I think there's a few good fights. Maybe the zone. I think they probably see the whole thing. Ah, anyway, Ryan Garcia. Um, we know the guy is is very popular amongst the ladies. His record 16-0. and 0. He's in a 10-rounder here. His opponent yet to be announced, but he's just linked up with the same trainer as Canelo. He's with the Reynosos now, so that could be very interesting for him. Um, also on the bill, we've got Eves Ulysse Jr., 16-1. and 1. He really impressed me um, when, he, when he beat Cletus Seldin. Um, I think that one was last year now. But anyway, he's, he's a very good fighter. 16-1, and 1, very uh, controversial loss, that one loss. He's in a 10-rounder against Maximiliano Becerra, who is 16-2 with two draws. Uh, former world champion Saddam Ali, 26-2, takes on former world champion Maurizio Herrera, 24-7. Herrera's had so many bad decisions go against him. Very unlucky fighter. He's a friend of the show as well. He was on one of our very first shows ever, actually 
Maurizio Herrera. Also on the bill, Katie Taylor defends her IBF and WBA female lightweight titles against Eva Wallstrom, who's 22-0 with one draw. Katie Taylor, like I say, 11-0. I don't think Wallstrom's actually had too much notice, so I'm expecting Katie Taylor to blow her out. Um, David Lemieux, 40-4. Fresh off his win back in September over Spike O'Sullivan. Very fresh off his win. It got done in the first round. He takes on Torino Johnson, who is 20-2. and two. Uh, Tevin Farmer, 27-4 and four with one draw. Takes on Francisco Fonseca, 22-1 and one with one draw. This one is for Tevin's IBF world title. Now, this guy Fonseca, he has that one loss. And that one loss came to Javante Davis. Unless I'm mistaken, I think it was actually on the... Uh, the, the Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor undercard, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, he lost to Javante Davis. He got knocked out in the eighth round. Um, he hasn't really got a great record. I mean, most of his red record's pretty padded. He's fought a lot of guys with losing records. He got to the undefeated stage and then got wiped out by a very a very bad-looking Javante Davis, actually. Davis looked really bad that night, but he still won by knockout in the end. Uh, I'm expecting Tevin Farmer to to probably outpoint him comfortably or maybe hit him a little bit flush too often and end up forcing a stoppage late on but I don't think I don't think he does it before eight rounds but if he does he makes a real statement Tevin Farmer he's been fighting very active and I know that he likes to do that and the main event I has the final fight to mention here Rocky Field in 27 and 1 he done the unthinkable when he went out to Germany and he took the title away from Tyrone Zoigri he looked amazing that night now he steps in against Saul Canelo Alvarez a real pound for pound top fighter 50 wins one loss and two draws Alvarez now obviously he's moving up in weight is the jump a bit too high for him in terms of weight he's the much shorter guy Rocky Field in obviously from stocky as they say um, he really can punch Rocky Field building um i think canelo's got a good chin um i just i just don't really give R- rocky fielding much of a chance as i mean i'd love to see him do it i would absolutely love to see him do it but it's a tough tough ask and i think he knows that as well even canelo i think has, has penciled in his next fight for may the 4th i think um I think at the T-Mobile Arena, I think that's that's a bit of news that broke earlier this week. So he's looking past Rocky. Well, hopefully he's he's looking past Rocky, and that gives Rocky a bit of a chance here. Um, yes, I think um, it's going to be a tough fight for Rocky Fielding. Obviously, Canelo is just a pound for pound number, and starts last last fight we saw beat Gennady Golovkin. But um, Rocky Fielding, in order for him to box in that fight, you need to use the size. But if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go for a Canelo by knockout. Yeah, then you're in agreement there with myself and the listeners. I think that Canelo, I'm going to say this now, I think that Canelo will win by a body shot finish. I think he's going to stop Rocky to the body. That's what I think happens. I mean, obviously, Callum Smith got him out there in the first round. And if Canelo doesn't do that in the first round, then it even makes Callum Smith's win that little bit more special. I tell you what, people think that, you know, people thought that the fight was crazy when they mentioned Golovkin and Callum Smith. I think that's a cracking fight, by the way. But anyway, that's another fight completely altogether. Um, yeah, a good fight. I'm looking forward to it. But someone said earlier this week, it doesn't feel... I think it was Michael Fox. We mentioned him in the review part of the show. He said, it doesn't feel like Canelo fight week. And the problem is, a lot of people in the US do not know who Rocky Fielding is. I mean, even Sugar Ray Leonard accidentally called him Roger Field. He actually accidentally called him... Roger Field. Um, so, yeah, he doesn't have much profile in the US, unfortunately, Rocky. Um, you know, coupled with the fact that 
Canelo's last two fights have been against Golovkin. They've been mega fights. They've been argue, arguably fight of the year on both occasions. So, uh, yeah, that's probably why it doesn't feel like a like a Canelo fight week because it's the first time in a long, long time, probably since he fought Liam Smith, where he's took on someone who is not really a worldwide name. And that was the same in the Liam Smith fight, even though they did, you know, great numbers there at the uh, at the stadium in Texas, I believe it was. But yeah, enough on that fight. All the very best to Rocky. Of course, we'd love to see him do it. He has already become a world champion, though. Um, I don't really think he's cashing in. I think he believes in himself. I know that Jamie Moore is going to put together a great game plan, and I absolutely pray that it works out for those guys there. But yeah, you have to favour Canelo. I mean, one of the best fighters in the world. But hopefully the weight's too much for him. We shall have to wait and see. All the very best to Rocky. But that's really it for the preview part of the show. We brought you part one. We brought you part two now. And just before we wrap up part two, the last thing to do is to welcome guest number two. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the current USBA Super Featherweight Champion. It is, of course, Mr. Jamel Herring. Jamel, welcome back on the show, my man. Hey, man. It's good to be back, man. Go, it's good to be back, man. Always great to have you back, Jamel. So we last spoke, uh, it was quite a while ago. It was back in April, just before your debut fight with Top Rank against Juan Pablo Sanchez. Uh, that was a fight where you went into it looking to make a statement. I think you said on the show that you'd be a little bit upset if you didn't score a knockout. You was able to score a knockout in the fifth round. Was there a new boost of hunger or motivation for you, Jamel, when you signed with Top Rank and had that first fight there? Oh, yeah, of course. Um like you just pointed out, you know, it, it was a new promotional body. Um, I had a chip on my shoulder from the previous fight before that, and I just wanted to go in there and make a statement to show to show everyone that, you know, I still got it and that I take my career seriously. And I often like to get the uh, the measuring stick out a little bit here, and I'm going to do that here. Obviously, you knocked out Sanchez in the fifth round. Uh, a few months before that fight, Sanchez fought Tiafimo Lopez, uh, the guy that just dissolved Mason Menard in about 40 seconds or or something the other night. Uh, we mentioned the, the, the fight earlier on in the show. Now, Lopez went the distance with this guy over six rounds, and you, Jamel, did it in five. That really is something there. Um, Jamel, after all this time, I mean, I've been announced you on the show as the former US Marine, the former Olympian, and those are fantastic things, but I introduced you just there by by uh, the first time as a champion, because obviously you've now finally picked up a belt after all this time. How does it feel to be the USBA Super Featherweight Champion, Jamel? Oh, it's a great honor, man. You know, just to, um, like you said, finally pick up a title and a pro rankings is, is, a, is a blessing, but you know, now I'm just um, ready and I'm, I'm focused once again, and I'm even hungrier to pick up that um, that world title. And like I say, that last fight uh, that you had, it was the first time that you'd ever actually weighed in inside the 130 limit in your first fight. Um, doing that, you picked up a title, like I say. How did it feel in the fight, Jamel? Obviously, we spoke before, but obviously during the fight is what matters. Oh, man, I felt great. Especially for um, you know, for it being my first time at, at officially at the featherweight limit of 130 pounds, you know, it, it felt it felt good. Like um, I wanted to also prove that I was the stronger man. Um, the weight wasn't bothering me, and that I could still perform at the highest level. And although it was your second fight with top rank, the entrance was unbelievable. I mean, what did you make of it? How good did it feel? You were in a dressing room with soldiers dressed in camo uniforms. You walked out to the ring with U.S. Marines lined up saluting you. I was just so happy that no other nations tried to invade the U.S. that night because the whole army was there for you. <laughs> 
Uh, it was crazy because I actually it was it was actually um a surprise. Like I actually didn't know until I walked out of my dressing room, and that's when I seen all the um you know Marines and everybody lined up. So you know that was a big surprise, but it was a good feeling. Yeah, it was amazing to watch it on TV. It was it was really something. Um, obviously, you celebrated your birthday the other month. You're 33 now, Jamel, but you've only had 20 fights. You're still pretty fresh. Do you feel the age of 33, or do you still feel you know a lot fresher than that age? Especially you're now training alongside the likes of Terence Crawford and others. Um, I actually feel a lot, a lot fresher because um, you know, like I started boxing late, so you know I don't have a lot of wear and tear. And like you said, with the new team, you know, how I'm treating, taking care of my body, it's played, um, you know, a big difference in what I'm doing now. And especially it showed, it showed the last fight, you know, that um, I did 10 rounds strong, you know, fairly easy. Could have actually did 12. And, you know, like I said, the, the proof is in the pudding. You'll be taking on Adilson Dos Santos, a Brazilian boxer who I remember fought Kid Galahad some years back. What do you know about this guy, Jamel? Um, he not only did fuck Kid Galahad, he also fought um, New Collins um, in June, yes. just past June. So, um, I mean, he, he, he also fought on, um, I think, Jesse Magdalena as well, you know, yep. uh, a couple of years back now, too. But, um, like I said, I only seen, you know, clips of the Magdalena fight, and um, I actually watched the fight with um, Collins um, throughout the camp. And, you know, he's not, he's not a bad fighter, but it's nothing like, you know, that I've seen before in, in, in my own career, so. You know, I'm just looking forward just to getting, um, you know, not looking past them, but, you know, getting a, a good, um, fashionable win here. And, you know, looking forward to bigger and better things. Yeah, I think he's a relatively tough guy. I think he can punch a bit as well. Um, a win here right. would make it would make it three wins out of three for you in the year 2018. It would also be three wins out of three for you since joining Top Rank. Is there any plan set in place for you um, for next year just yet, Jamel, or is it a little bit early for that? Um, yeah, yes. Um, we actually, um, hopefully once we get past this, you know, with no, with no issues, um, I, I'm looking to come back I, I, around March and I believe around that time, you know, we're looking also forward to seeing Terrence Crawford come back as well. And around that time, I should, I should be, I, hopefully if, if all goes planned, I should be fighting for the, um, you know, WBO world title and who holds that title, of course, is, um, Masayuki, um, Ito. So we're looking to see if he, um, once he, hopefully he gets, past his first title defense and the end of December, I believe, and end of this month. So, I mean, that's the plan. And that's the, um, you know, the guy we're looking at. But um, like I said, we just have to focus on this weekend first before we move on to the next. And, and your gym mate, obviously, you mentioned there, Terrence Crawford. Um, he tried to FaceTime Errol Spence. Errol Spence didn't answer the phone, but the pair ran into each other, thankfully, um, and they had some <laughs> words. That's a fight that we'd all love to see. I know that you'd back Terrence to win the fight, um, but from a non-biased point of view, Jamel, do you see it as a 50-50 fight? Can Spence beat Crawford, or is it just all Oh, yeah. Um, I'm, actually, both. I'm, actually close, I'm actually close with both, with both individuals. You know, of course... Um, Errol was my teammate back in the 2012 Olympics. And I look at it, it's a 50-50 fight. You know, they're both, you know, really good athletes um, in their way, in the, of course, in the other way division. So I don't I don't see it as a, as a walkover for anyone. I believe whoever brings that again would definitely come out on top. But, you know, yeah, I'm not going to be biased and, you know, pick this guy, that guy. But I think it's a um, fairly even fight. One question that I want to ask you on that fight. I'm not going to ask you to pick a winner, but do you see, if that fight did happen, do you see that guy in the distance or do you see a stoppage for one man? Oh, I don't know. Um, it's hard to say. I, I think I see, um, probably see 
um, a distance because they're very both durable guys. You know, so like I said, it all depends on who brings their um, you know, who brings their best to the table, and it's because it's going to be a high caliber fight. So, but um, and then like I said, like I said before, that they're very durable. So, I see it going to the distance. Do you see Mikey Garcia causing Spence any problems when they clash? Oh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, because of course everyone's looking at the size. I mean, Mikey has the skill set, you know, to, to um, deal and handle a lot of guys out there. But like, like people, like you said before, you know, this weight class is for a reason. So we just have to see, you know, how how he um, handles the weight. But um, I believe you know Mikey will, will put up a, a competitive fight, you know, if the weight doesn't bother him at all. And coming down to the last couple of questions, Jamel, um, I know that obviously you like to watch um, all the weight divisions, really. You like to watch a lot of boxing. Um, who do yeah. you see winning the World Boxing Super Series 140 tournament? Obviously, you've got the likes of Regis Progray and Josh Taylor. Probably many people feel will be the two finalists. Do you agree with that? Oh, if yeah. so, who do you see winning that? Um, I, yeah, of course. I'm, you know, I'm, really, I'm, I'm really close with um, Josh. Josh competed against each other in amateurs. Um, I know regions as well, but um, people also need to realize that um, you know, the beast is also you know, he he can um make a lot of upsets as well, so he can't attack either. So I mean, it's it's very competitive at that weight class for that tournament. Um, but if you ask me about the other the other um side of it, I believe that the um, in terms of what is it, um, 122 pounds, I believe it is. With um, I believe um, the monsters are obviously the the favorite to win in that that um, you know that bracket, but, you know, in terms of 140, I think it's very competitive, and um, you can't just take your eyes off neither one of those guys left in there. Yeah, 100%, I agree. And and the final question really for you, Jamel, I like to ask everybody this question during the month of December. What is on your Christmas wish list in terms of your career? In a realistic world, uh, where can you be and where do you want to be this time next year? Um, My, my wish list, like I said, is um, to pick up this win and didn't get that call saying that I've been there to the, um, compete for a title. Obviously, right now I'm number, I'm ranked number ten for, with the IBF. So you know, it's good to be ranked at, at a world level now, be considered like a contender. But this this time next year, hopefully, I'll be um, I'll be a world champion, trying to unify another world title. That would be fantastic, my friend. That really will. I'd love to see you achieve that. You truly do deserve it. And have you got any any closing words at all, just for our listeners, before we let you go, Jamal? Um, I'd just like to say, you know, I appreciate, you know, I would love coming on to the show, talking with you, man, and you all have been a great support. And um, I appreciate everybody out there listening. So, you know, if anybody has any questions, you can just follow me at Jabelle Harry on Twitter, Instagram, and I'll be, you know, happy to reach, reach back out to them. Very well said, my friend. Listen, Jamel, I'd like to wish you the great Christmas. Have a great New Year, and I'm sure that we'll catch up sometime in the early part of 2019. Thank you. Same to you, man. Same to you and your family. God bless you, Jamel. Take care, my friend. God bless you as well. Take care. Okay, and this wraps up episode 165 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Ayaz Sumra has been Ayaz Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the USBA champion, Jamel Herring, and the former British champion, Mr. Liam Williams. There has been a few things happen since we've been recording the show. Daniel Dubois has pulled out of his fight on Saturday due to the flu. His opponent, Razvan Kajanu, uh, will now step in next weekend against Nathan Gorman as Alex Lee.
Leopai, his original opponent, I believe has pulled out the fight. I'm a little bit sad about that, to be honest. I think Leopai is probably a bit better than Kajanu, but it will be interesting nonetheless. Josh Buatzi on the same night on the uh, the Dillian White and Derek Chisora undercard will be fighting against the former Chris Eubank Jr. opponent, Reynold Quinlan. Um, Quinlan got stopped by Eubank in the 10th round, so I guess it will be a decent test, but I'm not really interested in that fight for Mr. Buatzi. Jose Uzcategui, he gets his first defense of his IBF title after James DeGale vacated it. He takes on Caleb Plant on January 13th. Um, on January 11th, Devin Haney returns to the ring against unbeaten Zolisani Ndongani. I could be saying that completely wrong, but he's 25-0 and with 13 knockouts. He's a South African fighter. Billy Joe Saunders will now be fighting on the Warrington vs. Frampton undercard next weekend against Zoltan Serra, who has a record of 32-17 and with one draw. Of his 17 losses, 13 have come by knockout. He got stopped by Adam Etches in four rounds, by Caleb Plant in one round by Avni Yildirim in two rounds and Liam Smith in three rounds. So I'm expecting a very early night's work there for Saunders. And finally, Alida Alvarez is a man of his word. He's giving Sergei Kovalev a chance to win back the title he dethroned him of. The pair will get it on once again on February 2nd in Texas. But that's about it for the news. I'd like to thank you all for tuning into the podcast once again this week. The Prediction League currently stands at myself in the lead on 78 points. You, the listeners, are on 70 free and Ayaz is at the back on 72 there are another four points up for grabs this weekend so best of luck with that enjoy your weekends people stay safe and we'll catch you all again next week